0: welcome to the rising lioness podcast on all about animals radio a place dedicated to animals and all those who act to protect and advocate for them hi i'm erica salvamini and i'll be your host for the next 40 minutes I'm thrilled and honored to be here representing All About Animals Radio using my voice for the animals. Thank you for joining us for what intends to be an enlightening, thought-provoking, and soul-inspiring series where we discuss topics aimed at understanding the importance of the relationship between empathy, animal rights, and our peaceful coexistence with the animal kingdom. This is also a clarion call, our mission to enlighten and enlist those interested in becoming global animal advocates while also bringing awareness to animal suffering and the mass species extinction issue happening around the globe today we do this for the sole purpose of creating a gentler more loving and peaceful world for us all to share and now on to the show Hi! Today we welcome Billy Groom, who is an award-winning author, podcast host, animal welfare activist, and social entrepreneur. She's been featured in magazines, blogs, and on many podcasts and TV shows, including the LA Tribune and Psychology Today magazine. Billy presented at the Animal Behavior Society Conference in 2022, and is a featured speaker at the upcoming Animal Science and Veterinary Medicine Conference. Billy is also a member of the Dog Writers Association of America, Comparative Cognition Society, and the Animal Behavior Society. She's received her master's degree in canine behavior and welfare, and is currently enrolled in the Graduate School of Leadership and Change at Antioch University. She lives in Regina, Saskatchewan, Canada, with her rescued dogs and a cat. Welcome, Billy. Thank you so much for being here with us today. To share your vast knowledge and expertise in the area of canine cognitive behavior therapy, also known as CCBT, it's such an honor and a pleasure to know you. Truly, your body of work in this field is tremendous.
1: Thank you, Erica. It is. Thank you for that wonderful introduction. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, it's so. I'm. I'm really glad to be here and to be able to have this opportunity to spread awareness and. And talk with your uh, with your listeners. Thank you so much.
0: Of course, thank you. Um, I want to jump right in here, and I, I wanted to sure. ask you about: um, Is it accurate to say that as a social entrepreneur, you're personally invested invested in creating a solution to the tragedy that is canine behavioral surrender and euthanasia?
1: Mm, yes, I I think unknowingly I started that three decades ago and it just became what i do i was just you know working rescuing dogs you know we, pet care industry when it was really in an in- infancy and i just noticed that that adolescent stage which is the only dogs i work with are adolescent or adult i don't work with puppies um and because the methods that are out there now are are absolutely perfect for puppies there's there you know your positive reinforcement training it's great but then I found a lot of dogs were surrendered and euthanized and people were frustrated with that adolescent stage. And more recently, not, not necessarily back then, but I, it's been, you know, we don't want people to go to those aversive methods and tools and harmful. They're not, maybe not meaning to, but they're frustrated. So I, I just worked with rescue organizations and tried to figure out where that block was. I never thought about being a a dog trainer or a behaviorist I never thought about that I thought about creating a solution figuring out where the block was and what works with these dogs so that there weren't so many surrendered and euthanized right and it just built from there and I
0: it seems like it was your calling frankly I mean when you look at the the decades of of good work you've done and the the progress um, that really does get at the right at the heart of the problem, which is quite often these dogs are surrendered not of any fault of their own, but because of what they've been through the trauma. Um, so many are Ooh. are rather abandoned, and as pet parents, we adopt them. And I, I'm in the pet industry myself, twenty years in as a as a groomer in the industry, and I am known as the special needs lady. So all the dogs that that people can't, they can't get them groomed in regular grooming shop environments because you know it's get them in, get them out. But as the years go by, and perhaps you can relate as well, you, you see an uptick of the number of pets who have trouble um, adjusting. They're maladjusted. They can't, um, they just can't manage to cope in, in any kind of an environment and people, yeah. like, I don't understand. This dog has had the best life ever. I I've had it since it was eight weeks old and they just can't figure out what could possibly be wrong. And I, I, as a, um, I work as an energy worker with pets who have issues, I do Reiki with them and it, and it's kind of the same thing. Uh, it's, it's like it's the stuff that you can't see the trauma, the, and then even trauma that's passed down from their, their mamas. Right. So it's um, genetically, patterned into them somehow. So
1: that's that's right. That's it's interesting that you say that cuz what what we do is very similar and people sometimes think oh it's it's such a niche profession or it's for dogs that only have this huge troubled background and there's a lot of topics around that because you can actually there's lots of dogs that I've rescued throughout my three decades that come straight off the street, they've had a terrible beginning, and they just fit right into homes and off they go. They don't need this complicated decompression period and three days, three weeks, three months, and don't take them for a walk. like and It's become so complicated. And not, not every dog needs that. And then, as you said, there's other dogs where they've had such this great beginning. You know, they, they've been in a very good home from puppyhood, but they hit that adolescent stage. Mm-hmm. And right now, the way that the the system is designed is it's really focused on, you know, what to do during puppyhood. And then that's going to prevent all these problems in the future. Right. The the gap, the gray area that they're missing there is just the same with children. You need to adapt and grow as they their cognitive skills kick in. They think and perceive things differently. Their brain development works differently. So um, I've taken courses on neuroscience and canine development and brain development. And it's just like that adolescent stage with children where they're, they're focusing and they're, they're trying to process, but their brain loses that connectivity and that ability to process before they react to stop and make good decisions. Right. And that's what you get. So it should be commonplace. It should be normal to say, if we happen to get our dog at puppyhood, use this positive reinforcement training, it works really well, which is designed to encourage right behavior, reactive in nature. to to teach right from wrong, off we go. And then we hit the adolescent stage and we need to take a different approach because their thought patterns are different. And even if they come from um, a disadvantaged past, they come into our world with their own thought patterns, with their own experiences. And this is perceived as challenging or difficult. It's not when you use a method that is designed to harness those skills. So CBT, not just with canines, but as a psychology-driven methodology, it's designed to harness cognitive skills and to respect emotional intelligence and to take a proactive approach and a holistic approach, which is a lot what you do as well. I mean, you're taking an overall holistic approach and it's not just about that dog that minute right there. It's about the whole big picture.
0: Right, exactly. And you work as a team with um, mm-hmm. all my clients that it's, you know, it's, we're working mm-hmm. together. Me as your, you know, pet care provider, service provider, your pet and you as the pet parent and what we, what we work on together it, as a team will, you know, hopefully eventually affect change, but we have to be patient and we have to work together on it. So, um, yeah, I can relate tremendously to what you're doing. And I think it's just, amazing, wonderful, and so very much needed. Um, so it's, it's really a thrill to be doing this show with you for that reason. <laughs> Thanks. Um, can you tell me a little bit about your clients? Are they often brand new pet parents or are they more experienced? Hmm.
1: Well, I have veterinarians for clients. That's I awesome. have, yeah, I have, I, what I really love is when I have psychologists or people that have used CBT in their own life, or maybe with their child, or maybe to, um, overcome an eating disorder there's so it's it's interesting that in the last you know five years maybe more but it's become something people talk about you know it's not so hidden it's in workplaces it's in schools you know we need to address the reason for behaviors not just the behavior and that's carried over to the animal world as well and in order to do that you need a method that is designed to do that. And that's why talking about CBT, so when I work with my clients, getting back to the question, (laughs) when I work with my clients, some of them have very little experience on dog behavior, but very few, I would say majority of people have had a number of dogs before or have worked with a couple of trainers even. And it's not that those trainers were bad trainers, it's just that their method wasn't appropriate for the life stage of this dog or for the personality or for the issues. Um and I shouldn't say issues because it's the same issues that other trainers work with. It's it's the exact same thing. Aggression, anxiety, stealing socks, jumping up, leash reactivity. It's all the same problems. It's just you want the method that works with that dog at that dog's stage and the reason for the behavior. And so I would say my clients for the most part are pretty familiar with what's out there and, and what they've tried. And they've tried canine enrichment, which is great. I love canine enrichment, but it's not a method. It's not intended to, to address issues. It's, um, it does harness cognitive skills. Same with sports, agility, things like that. So I would say with all the information out there, most people are fairly educated. Right. But even if they're green... That's good, too.
0: <laughs> right. Right. I would imagine there's a an advantage to both um, if they, yeah. they understand and and respect what it, if they understand it, chances are they respect what it is and how it works. And if they don't, um, I would imagine that some of your clients are when they come to you, they're probably at their wits end already. And are yeah. like, I don't care. I surrender to you. Show me. Tell yeah. me. Be my guru because nothing's working. Yeah. And um, they just want to make yeah. it work for them and their pet.
1: Yeah. And then they get frustrated because we work together for a couple of days. I mean, every every client's different and every dog has a different uh, pace that they're going at, uh, which also is affected by the the people. So I'm working with the people more than the, the dogs because I also work 100% virtually. So I have clients all over the world. That's it fabulous. doesn't have to be. So great to know. Yeah. So I'm, you know, I'm working with the people. So there's a lot of factors in there, but often after a couple of days, they're saying to me, I'm already seeing changes. Why isn't, why didn't my behavioral veterinarian know? Like a lot of them have their dogs on medication or have hired a behavioral veterinarian and they yeah. question, Yeah, you know, and it can be frustrating for them to think everything that they've gone through and then all they needed was the right method. It's really
0: it is frustrating, it isn't it? Yeah. And yeah. Um, I know just from my experience and working with my clients who I just, I feel for them, you know, not mm-hmm. just for the animals, but for their people too, because they're, like I said, they, they're frustrated. They're um, sometimes heartbroken because they don't know what mm-hmm. to do. And then, you know, then there's a change in the family. And and I always ask them like, what's going on? Is there something happening in the household? Oh, we, we had a baby. And now this mm-hmm. is, happening. now it's first. Mm-hmm. Um, things that we didn't see before are happening now. And it's just, it's the same thing for humans. And so I, the way I see it, again, I'll go back to, you know, I can compare it to like the energy work. Um, There's a parallel with the people's behavior and the animals behavior. And if Mm -hmm. there's troubles at home and and issues going on and they're having their own sets of issues, the animals are going to respond to that as well. And so we have to be more understanding one, but uh, you know, Using a methodology like this would certainly go a long way to um, creating permanent, or I should say, long-term change.
1: And- exactly, because it's not designed to teach right from wrong. Right, it's designed to provide skills yes. that allow people to have changes in their lives and to right. incorporate because- their dog into their life and have changes occur, whether that's change in work schedule or complete change in life. Um, marriage, divorce, something, something larger. Right. Or even I've worked with people where the dogs are just, you know, it could even just be, I remember years ago when a client, um, took her, her, um, like she had a a rug under an area rug and took it out to be cleaned, you know, and it was not something that she cleaned all the time, took out to be cleaned. It was, you know, maybe once a year or whatever. And the dog had a really hard go with that. And it took us a wow. bit to figure it out. <laughs> so, you know, the level that sometimes these dogs, they just don't like change. And so sure. we need for them to be okay with change and to understand that change is okay. And you can't just keep practicing little bits of change and rewarding them when it, it needs to have a whole perception, a whole, a larger scale. And that's yes. what CBT does. It it yeah. It changes the brain, it resets the brain and deals with perception and allows them to make these decisions. That's everything is okay. And that's not me saying that. That's the that's the platform and the psychology sure. of CBT. And that's a big difference right. between providing options, which is what canine enrichment does. So it's more options. Um CBT provides dogs with the skills to make decisions and to be comfortable making decisions and to process and think, which is sort of going back to what I was talking about earlier, where you hit that stage where that the brain development tends to um, have a very short ability to do that, which is also why reinforcement is challenging in those, you know, based on reinforcements and rewards, because they, they have to do that right behavior to do that.
0: Right.
1: So it, I'm sort of digressing here, but
0: (laughs) (laughs) I am following um, you though. And I think it's a more compassionate way to work with our animals. And it's some more, like you said, holistic, which I love. I'm all about holistic um, everything, you know, it's the, it's the whole picture. It's the whole animal. It's the whole family. It's the whole, whatever it is. Yeah. You've got to look at, look at it all. And it's the kinder, way to approach this um instead well it, of and maybe out with the bath water and,
1: and i think that trainers who use positive reinforcement training are not unkind and i oh, don't absolutely. think they I, they don't have this mindset it's just that the conditioning methods are intended it's almost like they're trying to fit a square peg into a round hole yeah. so they're getting this mindset of proactive and holistic and acknowledging emotional intelligence there it's it's starting to become you know dogs as sentient beings and this mindset it's it's coming popular which is wonderful but like you said you need a method that encompasses that approach in order to effectively incorporate it into our life with our dogs and it's not that the other methods are mean it's just that they're intended to teach right from wrong that's that's and even if you get um counter conditioning and classical conditioning they still rely on reactive reinforcements and association and desensitization it's it's just different just different it's just their goal is different they change behavior first they they address the behavior and they 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 change the behavior oh. cbt changes perception which is- and you can think of it with um, an example that I like to use in the human world is um, on a diet so some people can can just be you know they don't know that an apple is better than a bag of potato chips they don't understand calories they don't know um, why it's better to to do this eating than that eating and so that would be you know conditioning methods you're just literally educating the people and giving them rewards so on a weekly plan if they follow a weekly plan then they get points towards their next weekly meal plan mm-hmm. but if they're if they're eating is caused from a an emotional state or from stress or anxiety and they know it's better to eat an apple than a bag of potato it chips can, and only. they know it's wrong to eat potato chips at night you need to take a different approach right they need to change their whole mindset and be okay and have their brain not go into this panic state and reach reach for that bag of potato chips and they have to decide that on their own right it's not a matter of providing options apple or a bag of potato chips it's a matter of them really understanding as a whole that they don't need those potato chips in order for everything to be okay.
0: And and finding a way to control the impulse to control
1: the impulse. Yeah. And they talk about impulse control a lot with, um, dog training, but it, again, it's done more as a physical, like a stay, you know, right. type thing, not without right. getting into dog training, but, and it's really that impulse control needs to come from their brain. Not from a, Yeah. They, they, And so that's what I do. So I've learned from working with hundreds of dogs over the years, and they actually taught it to me. I took the, the Jane Goodall approach, the hands-on right there, Love learning it. from the animals, that's and strange. then started yeah, to think. apply it to, to people and work with people. And that's when I really formulated it. I didn't actually know it was CBT until in my more recent years when I started to work more with people. And it was psychologists and people who worked with children and children trauma. And um, they were telling me, your approach is more like CVT. And this was sort of a light bulb moment for me. So then I started to really study. And that's when I decided, you know what? I need to study also what these other trainers are doing. I never really thought that much about it. I knew it wasn't the same as what I was doing, but it really wasn't because I wasn't in tending to be a dog trainer. I didn't take their courses and I didn't need to. I was doing my own thing and it was working. So once I started to study their methods and study the psychology behind it, it really was a light bulb moment for me to to really be able to understand why what I was doing was working and to formulate it into an actual formula that is creative and it's adjustable and adaptable but it does follow the formula of CBT. And that was so interesting for me and to it, study that brain. Really, and yeah, yeah, it it's, is. it's just really fascinating to learn more about why what I was doing was working. <laughs> I sort of took the backwards approach, right?
0: It's a, it's brilliant. And it worked. So, so Bravo yeah. to you for doing it. Um, I have a question for you. Why do you think industry leaders are not familiar with your method?
1: Uh, because I th- well, you'd have to ask them. I think it would be interesting just to ask them. You know,
0: yeah.
1: You have schools that teach positive reinforcement training. You know, um, Animal Behavior College, um, Fear Free Movement, uh, Lima Behavioral Veterinarians. They're all. I think they're trying to figure out what I'm doing, but they don't necessarily want to learn it from me. But they're. It's interesting when I do a lot of um, researching scientific studies. And they're using positive reinforcement based exercises to learn dog cognition. This doesn't make sense to me. If they want to learn dog cognition, they should be using cognitive exercises, which is what I do. So they're, they're, I think they're interest. They're trying to learn it. Um, I, I don't know why they wouldn't want to provide trainers with, more tools in the toolbox because a lot of trainers I I think are told that they have to do positive reinforcement training and that anything else is bad and horrible. And that stems from a good place. I think, I think it stems from, we don't want people to go down that road where they're using aversive methods, harmful tools. We don't want that. So they're trying to say positive reinforcement is the only way. I, no, it's not the only non-harmful effective method. I don't know if it's because, I, I don't know why, but they really should be incorporating this other method because it really would prevent a lot of people from going, and trainers, because there's trainers that are certified in positive reinforcement and they'll use the e-collar just because it's simply, they have they feel they have to. So I I don't know. I have reached out. I spend a lot of time reaching out, trying to make connections, uh, trying to work collaboratively with industry experts, but sometimes they just, change is hard for people. I agree. It's not hard for for pet parents because they don't have an allegiance to the industry. Right. They don't have, uh, you know, a reason to say, well, you know, maybe my colleagues might not approve of me or I might lose status where I am they don't they have just, that
0: they just want what works they want yeah speak. they just want what works they want help
1: yeah I mean some people may say well it's not scientifically proven but it is right or <laughs> if not then let's do that let's go down that road um some might say uh you know it's just because the industry isn't regulated well Unfortunately, it's not. So there's not really a regulatory body or a governing body that I can go to and present this method and say, hey, let's get this um, out there and get it approved. And there's no one singular body to do that. So I took the route of working with 150 to 200 clients per year for decades and, and getting it solidified and getting it uh, you know qualitative studies and keeping statistics and and building on it and perfecting it that's really the only way i could do it so i i don't know i think they all have maybe different justifications for not acknowledging it i think it just depends on their personal reasons
0: do you feel that the industry experts may believe it works or that it is simply just a tweaked version of Conditioning methods. And I, I don't think wondered... they know enough
1: about it to make that decision. They would have to learn it more. I would say years ago, yeah, years ago, I would get that. It's, you know, you can't do what you're doing or it's not signed or that type of thing. But now I think based on um speaking at these um animal behavior conferences and um science conferences and veterinarian conferences, that they can they're seeing more where it makes sense. It makes sense. It's logical. It makes sense from a scientific point of view. It makes sense from a psychology point of view. And yeah, I'll, I'll admit, you know, years ago when they sort of poo pooed me for lack of a better term, what it did was instigate me to learn more about it. It's like, okay, if that's what they're thinking and that's how they're feeling, I can get mad at them or I can figure out why they're thinking that. Why are they thinking that? What, what am I missing? What do I need to provide them with?
0: Sounds like it just made you better.
1: Yeah, yeah, for sure. Because yeah. they're allowed. They're entitled to their own feelings sure. and their own thoughts. And if that's what they were questioning, no one's ever questioned that it it's certainly not conditioning methods. That's absolutely I've I had one scientist who said, Oh, you're, you know, you're probably just doing counter conditioning, but um, that made me study counter conditioning more and talk to psychologists about counter conditioning, and it's not at all what I'm doing. Right. So, yeah, I, I, you know, you can take these and.
0: Well, I, I, I'm grateful for you coming on and talking about all of this today. Um, Thank you so much. I'd never heard of canine cognitive behavior therapy method. I think it's amazing. Um, I can see the value in it. I mean, I have a son who, you know, does cognitive behavior therapy and I know it works. And most of us know what it is, I think. So it's
1: fun, actually. It's super fun and it's creative. My clients love it.
0: I hope that the industry experts catch up to realize the importance of it and the necessity of it. And for anyone who's listening here today and in need, CCBT is a scientifically proven method for dogs over six months of age. There are decades of work showing evidence of its power to transform and even save canine lives, right? And canine cognitive behavior therapy prevents canines from a life of being misunderstood due to their prior traumas and patterning, which is often what gets them behaviorally surrendered or worse, euthanized. Mm -hmm. Um, I understand it also eliminates the perceived need for harmful tools, such as prong and e-collars or aversive methods that cause fear and can lead to aggression. So this method is... Um, a way to offer families the chance to finally share a life of peace and happiness with their beloved pet, something that many of us have felt helpless and even hopeless to at times. So Billy, thank you. And thank you all for joining us here today. Billy, thank I hope you, that we welcome. can connect again. I would love to do another show with you. And we we Aww. didn't even get to delve into the um the industry as a whole, that it's unregulated and, you know, certification and what that all means. And I'd love to get <laughs> that with you at another time. So, um, Thank I'm, you
1: so much, Erica. Yeah, this was wonderful. And yeah, oh, it's just lovely speaking with you and thank you for all you do for the animals.
0: Same here. Ditto. Thank you all for joining us here today. Please check out Billy's bio and link tree on our podcast page. This has been Erica Salvamini with Billy Groom, canine cognitive behavior therapy expert for the Rising Lioness podcast. Thank you all and have a beautiful day. This has been Erica Salvamini on the Rising Lioness podcast on All About Animals Radio. I want to thank All About Animals Radio for giving me and other animal warriors a platform to advocate from. I want to also thank our listeners for supporting All About Animals Radio and for continuing their good work of advocating for our friends. And a special thanks goes out to Chris Corley for generously lending us his song, Zero Gravity for the Rising Lioness podcast theme. Please take a moment to write a review for our show as it helps others to find us. Please also support our guests and their work, All About Animals Radio, and our social networks. Doing this further supports the animals and their advocates, thereby making you an Animal Kingdom Warrior too. You can find our links on the Rising Lioness podcast page. Until next time, in the words of Sharon Nunez, Animal Equality President, remember, the small actions of one passionate individual can create a butterfly effect, leading to a movement that has the power to change the world please use your voice today for the animals thank you for joining me here today namaste <laughs>